Welcome to Onward in the Faith. My name is Ray Burns, and I created a podcast and blog that equip Christians to approach every area of life with a biblical worldview. Today, I will be discussing the question of who is God and what is the Trinity? If you ask anyone in the world who God is, you're going to come away with any number of different ideas of who this person named God is or isn't. Some of the popular understandings of him is that he's a tyrant, especially if you have people who look at just the Old Testament God and don't understand who he is there. They will say he's just this cruel bully and this dictator. You have a more modern understanding that kind of paints God as this doting grandfather who just wants to love everyone and just wants everyone to be happy and just wants to just shower Christians with gifts and things like that. You might have some people who see him as just sort of this distant deity where, yeah, God exists, but he doesn't really interact with the world. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't listen to prayer, things like that. A lot of other people want to see him as just a force of good. So God isn't an actual being. God is just the good that exists in all of us, or he's the good that's in the world to where whenever someone gives food to the homeless or sacrifices their life or does any kind of good deed, that's where God is, and that's who he is. And, of course, a lot of people will also say that God is just this fairy tale that people made up long ago, and he just somehow stuck around. And the thing about who God is is that everyone has an opinion about it. Everyone has what they think is true. And we can get those opinions from a lot of specific things. Some people have been hurt in the past, and that shaped how they view God. They get their information from books or TV, how they grew up, their parents, their church might influence how they view God. What celebrities say and believe will influence how people understand God, especially people like Oprah Winfrey and things like that, people who actually talk about God but in their own way. But the problem with all of this is that opinion is not the same thing as truth. Who God is to me isn't true, and who God is to you isn't true. Either one of us is right, or we're both wrong about who God is. And so when it comes down to understanding and answering the question of who is God, the only thing that can really answer that question is the Bible itself. The word and the truth and the information that God has revealed to us through this book is our source of understanding who he is. And now, of course, that's not to say that we only get this information from the Bible, because there's a lot of things in our lives that influence how we view and how we understand God. But the thing is that all of those have to fall under the authority of the Bible. And so in our lives, we have things like our past experience that shapes how we view God, our own tradition, whether we grew up in the church or out of the church, what kind of church we grew up in. We have the natural world around us. You know, the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. You know, we can look and see that there is some kind of God here, and that influences what we understand about him. Do we see the chaos in the world? Do we see the beauty in the world? Our own emotions, you know, what we feel does influence how we view God. Whether those emotions are right is a totally different question, but they do have a bearing on how we understand God. And, of course, our reason and our intellect. In other words, what makes sense to us? How do we take all of these different things that we see in life and how we grew up and combine them into an understanding of God that actually makes some kind of sense. And again, all of those things are valid and they're important to understand and how they shape our understanding of God. But ultimately, what we need to say is, what does the Bible say about God? Who does the Bible tell us that God is? 
And so the first thing that we need to look at is the fact that God is a trinity. In other words, God is three beings, three separate people. And we see this very clearly stated in Matthew 28, 19, where Christ said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And so we see that Christ here is showing that people are baptizing in the names of of God who exists as three. And this isn't even a New Testament kind of understanding. Hints of this were understood by the people in the Old Testament. Uh, we can see this in Isaiah 48, 16, where it says, Come near to me, listen to this. From the first I have not spoken in secret. From the time it took place, I was there. Now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. And so here it's talking about how he was sent by God with the Holy Spirit accompanying him. And so an important thing to understand about the Trinity is to kind of debunk one of the popular criticisms of it, which is to say, well, the Bible never clearly says that God is three. That's just something that was made up centuries later by people who had some kind of agenda to push. And that often boils down to just a misunderstanding of where we got the idea of the Trinity and what the whole purpose of the Bible is and the things that it tells us. And so it's just a brief history. The understanding of the Trinity came from when people were attacking who God is, and and is he one, is he three, is he three separate gods? Christians at the time, up until then, had an understanding of God, but there was never an official declaration made. And so you had people coming in from the outside who were changing the understandings of God. And so basically all Christians did is they came together and said, look, let's dig into the Bible and say, okay, what does this teach us about who God is? What does this show? Is he just one God and Christ wasn't God? Or do we have three separate gods, kind of like the Greek pantheon where we have multiple multiple individual people or gods ruling us? What does it say? And that's where the official statement of the Trinity came from, but it was something that's been understood as we see, even in the Old Testament times, that God was one, but he was also somehow more than one. And in a moment, we'll dig into what exactly that means. But what we need to see in the Trinity is that all three of them are equal in majesty and equal in power and equal in value. Because to our human understanding, we think, well, if there's three, there has to be some kind of hierarchy. One has to be more important than the other, and one has to be the least important than the other. And if we're honest, if we think that way, we think, well, God is on top and Christ is a little below him. And then the Holy Spirit's kind of down there at the bottom. We don't really know what he does, but he clearly can't be as important as God the Father. But we can see that Jesus is equal with God. We can read about it in John 1.1. It says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And what this shows us is that Christ is God. He's He's equal. He he is God. He's not a lesser version. He's not a weaker creation of God. It says that Jesus is God. And so we can see that this is hinted at in how God is Trinity, because this isn't talking about that Jesus is God the Father. It's saying that Jesus is this God that they all three share. And it's weird. It's hard to understand. I know. And we'll get into why that is. But understand here simply that when it says that Christ is God, it means he is equal. He's not lesser, he's not less important or less powerful. Now, we also see that the Holy Spirit is equal in power and worth to Christ. 
And we see that in John 14, verses 16 and 17, where Christ says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. And so we see here that Christ isn't saying, hey, I know you really want me here, but I'm going to go ahead and give you a Walmart brand substitute. I'm going to give you someone less important and less powerful and less valuable than me, and you're just going to have to deal with it. No. Christ is saying, one, he's going to give you another helper. In other words, someone just like me. But later on in the verse, he goes, he talks about how this is actually going to be better for them. Because while Christ could only be in one place at one time, the Holy Spirit abides in us. He, he lives in us all, all the time. And so that would be like having Christ accompanying us everywhere all the time. That's, that's the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. And so we can see that here he serves a different function than Christ, because, of course, we don't worship the Holy Spirit for dying for our sins, because that isn't what he did. But we see that just because he has a different function and purpose in our lives, he's better for us and is just equal in value and worth to Christ. And even though it becomes obvious as we read and study the Bible, it becomes obvious that God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are three different beings— they still share one essence. They share one majesty together. And this is something that's hard to explain and understand, which is why throughout history, and even today, Christians have been accused of being polytheists. In other words, we worship multiple gods. Even back in Rome, in the New Testament, Christians were accused of worshiping a plurality of gods because, well, they worship this one called God, and also there's the Father, and then Jesus Christ, and there's something about a Holy Spirit— and people didn't get it because it's different. It's odd. It's, it's hard to understand. But we know that God can't be multiple gods hanging out together because, as we've seen in Deuteronomy and as Jesus quoted later, the Bible says, To hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And this is where Jesus was asked, What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus is quoting this, saying, The Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so here, we've seen confirmed, Old and New Testament, that God is one. He's not separate. He's not shattered. There is a oneness to him. And so we have to take these two different understandings of God, that God is clearly not splitting up his power. He's not three different gods that are kind of sharing responsibilities. There's some way that God is one God, but three persons. And the unfortunate news is that we can't explain it. And here's why. There have been plenty of attempts, as we will discuss, to explain how God can exist as three. But the problem is, is that when we try to explain God and use pictures to help people understand it, what we actually do is we rob God of majesty and we rob him of glory because there is nothing like God in the entire universe, in all of creation, we see things that are kind of hints and pieces of God. We have, you know, fathers who serve as kind of an earthly picture of who God is and things like that. But there's no one thing that can accurately function the way that God functions as Trinity. And so whenever we try to explain God, we run into issues because it, it makes sense to us and, it, and examples and pictures of the Trinity— give us comfort, but what we do is we want to pull God down to our level. 
we want to say, God, I don't understand you. So here, let me let me get my hands around you. Let me fit you into a thing where my brain can make sense of it so that I can understand you and I can feel like I have some control and I don't feel silly because I don't understand something. And so there's kind of three popular styles of explaining God. Uh, one popular way is to compare God to something like water or a three-in-one shampoo or things like that, where with the water example, you have, well, water is liquid, water is solid when it's ice, and God is also steam or gas form. And we say, ah, see, God is like water but because it's water, but it's different forms. And the problem with that is that it makes God kind of a shapeshifter, where He's not ice and steam at the same time, so he has to turn into the Son. He has to turn into the Father. He has to turn into the Holy Spirit, but it can't be one at the same time. And we could say, well, you can have ice and liquid and the steam in the same area together, and you can, but that's not the same water. That's different kinds of water serving different functions. And so if we go that route, then we make God three different gods that's kind of made of the same stuff, but it's its own entity. Another popular one is to compare God to something like the sun or a light bulb, where we'll say, well, you have the sun, which is the the star, the big ball of gas burning in the universe. And from that sun, we get heat and we get light. And those are all three things from the sun. They're all parts of the sun. And that explains the Trinity. And what that does is it runs us into another issue where we say that the heat is not the sun and the light is not the sun. They are creations of the sun. They are less than the sun because without, without that big ball of gas burning, we wouldn't have heat. We wouldn't have light. And so they aren't codependent or co-equal. You have the, in that picture, the father would be the greatest and then he would create lesser beings, which would be the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And again, the picture can feel comforting, but it actually robs God of who he is. And then finally, you may have heard things like comparing God to the multiple parts of an apple or an egg. And so with an egg, you have the shell, and you have the white part, and you have the yellow part. And all three of these come together to make up an egg. And here what this does is it teaches that God is kind of fractured, that You can separate the shell from the white from the yolk, and they are all parts of an egg, but they're all also their own independent things. And so that teaches that God is not one, he's actually multiple pieces. And again, all three of these go against our true understandings of who God is, because God is always the Son, he's always the Holy Spirit, he's always the Father. So the water example fails. We see that God is equal in terms of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so the Son example fails because Christ and the Holy Spirit aren't lesser creations or lesser versions. And of course the egg fails because God and Christ said, God is one. And the egg says, well, no, God is three different parts. And one of my favorite videos about this, I'll put it down in the show notes, but it's a hilarious little skit by, I think it's called Lutheran Satire, that I would encourage you to watch. Very funny stuff. But ultimately, there's only really one explanation for God, and it has nothing to do with metaphors or clever pictures or things like that, because while those are comforting, they just rob God of who he is. So all we can really say about God is that God is one God, but he exists as three persons. 
All three of them are equal in power and majesty and godhood, but they serve different roles. And then we just have to admit that God cannot be fully explained or understood because God is completely unique. And it's really only by faith that we can accept this reality of, of the complexity and almost the impossibility of who God is. Because we're never going to understand it. Because we can only understand things that make sense based on our experience and our universe. We can't understand always existing because we've never seen anything that's always existed. We can understand the idea of us living forever, but we can't fully understand God having always existed and never having a beginning. And the Trinity is kind of the same thing, where there's just nothing in our lives and in our experience and in the entire universe that God has made that can accurately show how it is that he is one God, but three persons. And so we, by faith, accept it and we trust, but we don't pretend that we can explain it. And in a way, that makes God even more glorious, because it's not about him being this super powerful version of us where we can understand every single aspect about him. He just does things much better than we can. Instead, God is God, and we are not. And we worship God because he is who he is. He's not just a better human. He is beyond humanity. He is beyond us. And yet, despite him being who he is, despite him being completely different than we will ever be or ever understand, he still chooses to interact with us in a personal way. He still chose to send his son to die for us, people who didn't deserve it, people who deserved hell, deserved punishment. God made a way for these these little tiny creatures that he created who are so far beneath him in power and understanding. He still created a way for us to have fellowship with him. He set out to fix a rift that we had created. He made a way for us to not keep choosing sin, not keep following our flesh, but instead through turning to Christ, through asking him to save us, through him becoming our Lord, we can have right standing with God. And the parts of him that we understand, we can love and adore because he is the example of what life is all about. His holiness, his justice, his mercy, his love. But even those things about him that we can't understand, we can still love and worship him. Not because we love mystery or because we want to be different, but just because being completely different than all of creation is what makes God God. He made something that is not him because there can only be one thing like God and that's God. I think that's going to have to conclude this part of the discussion on God. We will pick it up next week. I hope that it's given you a good understanding of kind of the basics of who God is and also getting giving you a basic idea of the Trinity and how it is that God can exist like this, which is to say we can't understand how God exists like this. But if you found this first part of our discussion about God to be valuable or interesting, or if you just want to support this podcast, visit patreon.com slash onward in the faith. And on there, you can give as little as $1 every month and all your donations get plugged right back into this podcast and in my ministry so that I can just keep serving you by equipping you to love God and to serve God and to just keep moving onward in your faith. So you can find links to my Patreon and an article about this very topic, as well as the humorous video about the Trinity down in the show notes. I thank you for listening to Onward in the Faith, a Christ-centered podcast for your heart and mind.